Hello, everyone. Welcome to Weekly Manga Recap. It is January the 20th of 2021, and we're back to a regular episode of the mm -hmm. show. Isn't it nice to be back to normal here uh, on planet Earth uh, on the podcast? It's weird to have a Wednesday that started off like like it didn't feel like the lead into the podcast was like a soul crushing thing. You yeah. know, it was it was where we, a, where we uh, decided to talk about manga in order to escape the the uh, yeah dark clutching cold hand <laughs> of reality. Yeah, no, we just uh, we we got something that was my like all right, it was better than nothing, I guess, or better than what was before. <laughs> so you know, uh, now Nick, I will notice you didn't uh, refer to me by my title. Uh, sorry, Lord Christopher. Oh no, wait, Mister Vito in the bank. Your Lord and your <laughs> reigning, defending Vito in the Bank champion. I'm here to show the world. I'm here to show the world. That's way more impressive than the one I made. I'm it. Well, it's mirrored because you're seeing it through a webcam, stupids. <laughs> I didn't put the letters on backwards. <laughs> yes, so this looming threat shall be over you as soon as next, well, I guess not next week. It'll be three weeks after next week because next mm -hmm. week we're getting a new round of jump starts. But you never know, man. I've got this veto in the bank contract waiting at any moment. I didn't actually hear that there were new series coming uh, that early, but I guess it makes sense considering that two different series have, are, have ended this month after Chainsaw Man and We Never Learned last month. So, uh, Well, Mori King, A Gravity Boys ended a little bit ago. Mori King just ended. Supposedly, uh, our Blood Oath is ending. There's at least rumors speculating yeah. right now that's supposed to be ending next week. And we're going to get four series, including one from... Uh, the manga from Nero and Assassin Assassination Classroom is one. There's oh, one okay. from Astra Lost in Space mangaka, which I think is like oh. a comedy about witches, I think, or something like that. And then oh, two other makes, people. That makes sense because they, they also did. Um, oh gosh, what's the name of the the, the sket sket dance? Sket dance. Yeah, uh, they also did that one. So okay, well, exciting. We yeah. will, uh, I guess, get to those shortly enough. And uh, I, uh, if anything is, if I have a visceral reaction to anything and you don't, I'm going to start getting worried. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, veto in the bank. It's good times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If, uh, guys, um, we did not, I, that we did an irregular episode last week for those of you who didn't hear uh, where... Uh, we had a name that character contest built on the fact that uh, there are a lot of characters in My Hero Academia that Chris just doesn't doesn't realize know who they are, and there are a lot of One Piece characters that I just don't know who they are. Yeah, I have no idea. And so we we uh, challenged each other. We each came up with our own lists of characters from the series that we had stronger knowledge in to challenge the one who was uh, had a weaker knowledge in. And by one point, Chris beat me. Mm -hmm. And it, he basically beat me because superhero names in My Hero Academia are themed. And <laughs> I just picked the right fireman-based uh, name. 
Again, I, I have to thank I have to thank the board game, the fireman based board game I've been considering picking up for a while that's also called Backtracked. Uh, I guess I'm just lucky that Uabami has a Japanese name and isn't named Medusa. Yeah. Because you would have gotten her too. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, to move past uh, my, my latest defeat, in which I demonstrated to everyone that I don't remember very plot relevant One Piece characters like the guy who looked after Laboon. Um, <laughs> Quarkus, how dare you? He was a member of Gold Rogers' crew. <laughs> I didn't recognize Brooks <laughs> Captain, sorry. Uh, <laughs> but I got I got Margaret though. <laughs> yeah, this is my bewilderment still. Um Yeah, it's uh, the entire thing is up on Chris's Twitch. Uh yep. but uh I we I mean because it's a very visual version, we're not it's an irregular episode, so Chris, I don't know if you've noticed lately, but it's been getting colder recently. It has been a little bit nippy. I'm not a fan of it. Well. Well. I designed that in order to transition into the series we're talking about, and I can't figure out a smooth way to do it, which means it's the most failed segue. Why did you say <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I you I, know, I, it's I, so I, cold. Towards it being cold, and then I was like, "Wait, now that I'm here, how, what do I take a left? Do I take a right?" <laughs> you know what I like to do when it gets cold yeah. outside? Well, so we find it. <laughs> I read, <laughs> I read manga that uh, is sometimes about the cold. Cold about winter, uh-huh. like this one. That's why I read the fairy tale gray spinoff manga. That's what we're talking about this week, guys. Wait, what? Are you sure? <laughs> uh, I... <laughs> we read Golden Kamui this week uh-huh. for this week. Uh, this is a series that uh, started in 2013, 2014. Uh, it's been going on since then, uh, running uh, it's won awards. Uh, it's won a fair number of awards, and it's available to read on Viz. You can read every single volume that is out in English right now, which is, I think, 18 volumes. It's almost 200 chapters. Um, there's been more beyond that, but you can read everything up to that point if you have a Shonen Trap subscription. There's also a series that I did a review of uh, for Anime News Network a few years back when the first volume came out. And I loved that first volume, but I basically just kind of forgot about it uh, or I just never kind of got around to it for a while. Uh, And uh, then earlier this year, I decided to not earlier this year, but last year, uh, I started to catch up on the anime series that was out. And then Chris said, hey, why don't we read this manga? And I was like, yay, I like that anime. So I and I liked the first volume of the manga. So here we are now. Um. My opinion has not really changed on it. Uh, some of the intricacies, like there are certain things that I didn't get an impression of that uh, just from the first volume that became much more obvious later on, like the manga's incredible preoccupation with dicks. Uh, <laughs> but mo- for the most part, my opinion has not changed on this series. I quite enjoy it. What do you I, think, Chris? I generally enjoy it. I I think I've gone on record before saying I really, really like survival fiction stories, and I don't know if I'd say this is exactly survival fiction, but everything's so generally kind of grounded that it it falls into a similar vein. 
Um, but I will say there is uh, still a criticism, not a criticism, I, I think it's just a joke that tends to get lobbied around the manga that absolutely makes sense, is that every chapter feels like you were reading a Wikipedia article that you did not <laughs> want to click on, <laughs> that you're just like, all right, shit, I guess I'm going to find out about this bark <laughs> and every yeah. fucking intricacy about this fucking bark. And uh, every chapter has something like that. There's a fair amount of narration that happens, especially early on when uh, Sugimoto's a little bit more on his own than uh, he becomes very shortly afterward. And so information about the world that they're in is just kind of like here. It, here it is. It's mm. just given to you like this. It gets cold, so cold that the trees crack. And it's like, all right. God, thank you for telling me that. Uh. <laughs> but it oftentimes also comes from one of the characters. It's very much like those those food war uh, expo dumps where it's just like, not even expo dump, just explanation of, hey, here's how this intricate food chemistry reaction thing goes. And in this case, a lot of it actually is food as well, because it'll be like, hey, here's what happens to fucking otter eyeballs when you uh, fucking douse them in oil and then you you cook them to a certain temperature. You can you can also eat them and then also take the skin afterwards and rub it across all your hands. And like it's just it's it's very intricate, uh, but it does at points feel like you are reading the textbook. <laughs> A little bit. Um, something that I did not expect, even after I had read the first volume, but kept on coming up and coming up and coming up. Holy shit. This might as well be a cooking manga. Yeah. Like, <laughs> there is a lot more to it than the food, but there is so much food in this series. So much food that is that is apparently very tasty that I have never eaten before. Uh, because they eat brains and like exotic animals and stuff, uh, because they're out in the wilderness for the most part and they have to just eat what they find and they do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and everything is Hina. That's, uh, if, if I've learned. So the, I, I guess we should actually talk about, uh, what the, the actual what's the is. concept nick what is this series <laughs> golden kamui is uh set in uh in japan in oh gosh hokkaido the northern uh, most island of japan uh in the very early 20th century it is just after the russo-japanese war but presumably before world war one so somewhere probably around 1908 to 10 or something along those lines. Uh, and so we follow this veteran of the Russo-Japanese War named Sugimoto, uh, who is basically developed a reputation on the battlefield for being impossible to kill. Uh, he's got all these battle wounds and stuff like that from the fights that he survived. And by happenstance, he just stumbles into this massive plot to hunt down a hoard of gold that uh, belongs to the indigenous uh, group uh, group uh, in the area called the Ainu. And apparently someone stole the gold from the Ainu. The person who stole the gold was arrested and put in prison. And they wrote a code for how to find all the gold. 
across the bodies of like 20, 25 prisoners. And so a bunch of the prisoners have now escaped and are scattered all across Hokkaido and the surrounding areas. And so in order to find this gold, you have to track them down and either skin or copy the code onto TARP. Uh, and then somehow, once it's all laid out, you can figure out where the gold is. And uh, Sugimoto gets involved with this young uh, Ainu girl named As- Asirpa. She's like 12 or something like that. Uh, and they agree to look for the gold together. Um, and things just kind of go from there. There are a whole bunch of other characters, but that's the basic premise there's like a whole thing involving different factions and their plans for all of Japan. Uh, and there's a whole lot of weird people uh, with various different mental issues, honestly. Uh, but it's about them trying to survive in this very harsh winter environment while they're trying to track down the different prisoners with the code on their bodies uh, and survive in the meantime. And they eat a lot of food. And it's all apparently very delicious. Yeah, um, it's it's an interesting series. I honestly, one of the biggest like comparisons I feel like I could make is somewhat to World Trigger, and not necessarily that their plots are anywhere near identical, but that the way they handle themselves is so very uniquely theirs. I don't know much about the manga, but there is a style that's very obvious in that. Everything is going to have its time to be kind of digested and explained. Uh, Character designs, oftentimes, they don't really need to make sense. Uh, Dudes will be very hunky. Uh, I don't think there is a dude in the series who isn't, like, super jacked and ripped. Uh, And you'll see a lot of, uh, you know, half-nude characters and things like that. Hey, you know what? I'm happy for it. Um... And, I, and there is just a distinct style to it. It's also a funny series. Uh, it's kind of odd. Like, Sugimoto, you kind of get the start, is almost like a Wolverine kind of character. Like, this Whoa. badass loner. And then he's like, oh, he has to help this little kid. Until it's immediately clear she's the one who's actually taking care of him. Because she knows this yeah. a, like entire area. Uh, and then he basically has to become the straight man to her. Because she's the one who gets all the wacky reactions or yeah. says all the wacky things. And he has to just like, it'll be a line where she's just like, oh, but we can't eat the otter's brain because it got poison. And he just has to sit there and he's like, oh, no, we can't eat it. Oh. <laughs> like staring off to the side or something like that. Whenever food is potentially brought up, like if anything non-human comes across their path. A Sirpo will be like, I want to eat it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Every time. (laughs) Everything's all about that. And and I really, I do appreciate that. I, I, I enjoy the comedy of it. I enjoy their relationship. I enjoy the power dynamic because again, it, it's it's clear very early on that he's the one who kind of needs her more than anything else. Like a pretty significantly early on arc is him being like, it's too dangerous to continue this mission with her along. I'm going to leave on my own. And he like immediately gets captured and almost killed. And she yeah. has to go rescue and him. She has so, to save his ass. Yeah. So it, it's, it's a very nice change of pace relationship. Um, I can't speak. I'm I'm a very unfortunately ignorant person to a lot of it, so I I can't and I don't want to speak to how accurate this uh 
exploration of this culture is from the little I saw. It seems like it was done well, but I, I, I will fully admit on the front, I don't know that for certain. And I had very little knowledge of who this group mm-hmm. with the um, I want to call him the Ampu. Um, isn't that the fucking that's the that's, fucking ninjas from Naruto? Naruto. Yeah. Ninjas, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's the Ainu. I know, uh, yeah. Which so is I, a real indigenous group mm-hmm. uh, in Japan. Uh, apparently, uh, the mangaka of the series Satoru Noda has done a lot of work with them. Uh, and I mean, like, I had never heard of this group yeah. until I read this manga. Um, but yeah, apparently. Uh, Noda Sensei does a lot of work uh, making sure that you know the manga is well researched. Apparently, he's not concerned with everything being super historically accurate. So, like for example, there are certain guns that show up in the series that were not available in Japan at the time, or potentially even existed. But you know, it's more fun to just yeah. have certain things in. But uh, apparently, yes, the, the indigenous group is very well represented in the series. Okay, so. and I, and that was my. That was what I kind of was inclined to believe. But again, I don't know. I I'd like you. I didn't know this was even like a group until we read the manga. So, you know, I didn't want to be like, and what a great representation, you know, because I, I don't know. I mean, mm-hmm. as, as far as I know, he could have been making the whole thing up, as you know. So uh, I do appreciate it. I, I really do find all the work. Even if I don't necessarily enjoy it in the context of a story, I find it all so very admirable. And I think that's kind of even more to what I was saying when I compared this to World Trigger. Sort of like how we praise Ashihara for having a chapter where it's like, hey, it's just going to be the fucking draft. You know, I I do a chapter once a month and (laughs) I did half a draft this month. (laughs) So, like, it's just very much their style. And you can get a chapter in in Golden Kamui where you're just like, Shit, I guess we're really going to find out about how they make, they make pottery this week. I guess, like yeah. that's just going to be the chapter. Though so don't I mean like this is an adventure series mm. too. So yes, you're correct completely correct. There will be times when they'll just they'll just kill and skin a deer and eat it and that'll be a chapter, but there'll also be times when all the fighting happens. And when all the fighting happens, it is incredibly violent. And incredibly amazing. <laughs> yeah, there there are truly a lot of great moments. There's a lot of really clever thinking, and it's 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 really good when there's like a big moment of victory for the characters, like yes. uh, uh, you know, managing to trick somebody into basically poking the bear that you were right on the edge of poking. You're just like, I'm gonna keep my finger right here, and I'm gonna hope you poke it first, kind of move. You know that sort of stuff. Um, it, it's it's. It is really good. I, I, I do enjoy it, but I, I, I will note that it, it, it is also a very distinct style. So if somebody came yes. up to me afterwards and said, I hated this series, I would go, I do not blame you. I absolutely can understand that. Uh, I mean, like, there are certain elements of it that make it just unique in terms of, at the very least, you don't see a lot of series like this right now that are like shown in series yes um and part of that has to do with the fact that there's a lot of guys in this story and all of them feel very adult male and that's a very deliberate choice on notice part from i actually like looked up stuff about them apparently like nobody knows a whole lot about him 
but he has made it very clear that he doesn't like Bishonen stuff. So that's why he doesn't have any, you know, like thin pretty boys or anything. Everyone in this series is muscly and gets their ass out. (laughs) (laughs) And there was this really, I thought this was fake the first time I, 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 I saw it, but I saw this thing like just after we started reading this series to prepare for it. There was an interview between Satoru Noda and uh, the mangaka of uh, Vinland Saga. They were interviewed together. And one of the questions in the interview was, uh, do you see any similarities between your two series? And so uh, Yukimura, the Vinland Saga mangaka, was like, well, you know, like they're both very violent. Uh, they're both set in cold regions. I don't know. And the Noda's just like, the old men are cool. They have sex appeal. Give me more hairy but rough and cool old men. <laughs> it was like, all right, I, I I can definitely appreciate. It's like you like what you like. Good for you, man. Yeah, you know what? I, I gotta enjoy it. Plus, it's it's such a like it's a very uncommon thing. It feels like Absolutely. for that thing to kind of show up, and I, I like that it's it is definitely catching on. Like I. I've been seeing mobile games that are are doing like golden Kamui crossovers and collaborations. And you're just like, good. You know, I'm glad to see that there's like crossovers for this sort of series, you know? Yeah. Um, I watched this, this uh, anime with Nicole. Um, I mean, as far as I know, she's not super into all the man ass that shows up in the series, but at least, you know, it's not a bunch of like underage kids that get their butts out like in the majority of shonen <laughs> the older we get the less okay we are with it so just... um but it's a very fun series it's um at times just very comfortable because you know everyone will just be sitting around gathered in a warm little hut as they uh, shelter against the elements and at times it'll be very disturbing because This is a manga that has a lot of characters who have already seen a lot of death in it or have already committed a lot of murder in it. There is like a sniper uh, character called uh, God. I I forget so many names in this series, but I think his name is Ogawa. Uh, And he is just a sociopath, like just straight up. Um, But he's also very interesting. It's very interesting to see the way that he sees the world. When he talks about how uh, like he was born out of wedlock and so his father abandoned his mother. So he basically killed his mom to see if his dad would show up at her funeral. Like he's so messed up. Uh, Sugimoto has clearly a lot of stuff haunting him because he's been through war and uh, his best friend died in the war. And he's he's trying to look after his best friend's uh, fiance. And he's haunted by all of that. And meanwhile, Asirpa is this young girl who is pretty much mostly innocent, but is suddenly going through a lot of the horrible things that these characters are going through. And then you'll have a character like Shiraishi and he'll, you know, he'll get a he'll get a charm that he thinks will protect him that's shaped like a dick. And then we starts falling through the ice into the water. He'll try and use it to hold himself up. And then the head will break off of the dick charm like <laughs> Yeah, it, it it all works though, you know. Yes. <laughs> like it, it weirdly all kind of comes together, and I, I I think I've kind of worked out 
how I feel and that I, I like it and I would recommend it to just about anybody. Uh, even I would recommend this to somebody who doesn't read manga. Like if this was their first sort of series, if you know somebody who's like, I like reading like old war slash like old guy in the wilderness sort of stories or things like that. I'd be like, you'd probably like this. I, there's going to be a lot of penis, but <laughs> you know, there's going to, you're, you're probably, you're going to enjoy this. I think you'll, you'll enjoy the characters and things like that. Uh, and it, I think it would be a good introduction in that way. Um, but at the same time, again, if someone told me they were like, well, I read a volume at night, I fucking hated it. I'd be like, hey, no, <laughs> fair, fair enough, you know? I get what you mean. Uh, even if it came, not even just like the story content, but literally even if someone said, I can't read this anymore, everyone's eyes look too weird. I'd be like, all right, I, yeah. <laughs> I understand you. Uh, it's a... It's an interesting series. It's a different sort of series than the stuff that we read normally on this on this show. And I really, really enjoyed it. And uh, I'm probably going to pull myself just keep watching the anime, especially if it's releasing at a rate that is roughly at the same pace as the manga coming out. So looking forward to more. All right. Let's talk about like the 15 series we have this week. Nick, yeah, we've got a lot of chapters to catch up on because. Some irregular stuff came out last week that we didn't talk about, so let's get into it. So, My Hero Academia, chapter number number 297, Tartarus. There is a very long explanation about what Tartarus is at the beginning of this uh, chapter that was very hard to read and was very long, and so I have skipped it every single time I've opened up this chapter. Just too, too lazy. Yeah. Uh, last... I, I will note, I, I, I was able to read it, and I... I enjoy that, you know, it's, it's there, there's currently this big one piece celebration currently going on one piece reached chapter 1000 and there's something like with Dr. Stone did a cover page connected to it. I really appreciated that Horikoshi just put impel down into, (laughs) into what fucking my hero. I think that was a really cool move. It's weird. He changed the name. He should have just called it impel down if it's 100% just impel down, but you know, whatever. If he can just like write in there where it says counter quirk maximum security special prison, aka Tartarus, <laughs> aka impel down. This is a really small print. <laughs> I was gonna say they both have vaguely Nazi guardsmen, so I mean it's it's right down to the wire, pretty much. Uh, the chapter is about you know the plan that All for One was alluding to at the beginning at the end of the, the last chapter of the series, where he was going to get his real body out of there, and we see that plan in process. Uh, there's a bit of a, honestly, it made me think of the weird, uh, Zion fight in the last Matrix movie where everyone was in the mechs with machine guns. Uh, Cause there's like these huge mech things or turrets or whatever that are firing at unseen enemies. Um, I'm guessing the no- high end Nomu. I don't know. Also, someone died. Uh, oh no, not crust. I mean, not get a normal name that I can actually pronounce you deserve to die (laughs) Uh, Shigaraki or rather all for one using Shigaraki's body is there in person he didn't just send the Nomu after uh, in order to get his body out Uh, we see some conversation going on between yes vaguely Nazi-ish wardens uh, who he really, really, really doesn't like abnormal people. Like, it's not even just like, oh, they don't deserve to have human rights because they did horrible things. 
He's like, no, no, these are like non-human now because of how mutated their quirks make them. It's like, oh, that's a great thing for someone to say in a society that is mostly mutated. Uh, We flash around the prison to see some of the important people that are there. Um, It occurred to me while this is going on, like, oh, are they going to reintroduce Stain into the story this way? Uh, I think that one of the figures in this montage might be him. The guy slumped in the corner. um, At the the bottom, right? Yeah, so that might be him. But uh, during the break later, we don't see him, I don't think. Uh, Emergencies are going on. High-end gnomes are flying around the place. Uh, Shigaraki is directing them around. Uh, Shigaraki is actually starting to rebel under All for One's control. And All for One's like, no, no, go go back to sleep. Uh, The hyper-regeneration is not working, so I need you to be healthy. And he starts arguing literally with himself in a way that's kind of weird because the panels just split down the middle to signify that he's talking to himself. And that's about it. It's kind of odd framing, but anyway, um, and all for one kind of chides Shigaraki for objecting to being taken control of by saying like, Hey, you know, you agreed to this by taking my power. You know, you uh, tried to rebel against the world and you wanted the strength to make good and all the hatred you felt. This is the result of what you, of what you were doing. And that's that's what matters now. So Shigaraki objects, saying, I'm not going to be your pawn. And all for one says, you're not my pawn. You're very near and dear to me. After all, you're the next me. I don't know. That sounds like you said the same thing that he said. (laughs) Uh, He starts using the decay ability and the the guard tower just goes away. Uh, there's a bunch of stuff going on. Shigaraki is kind of recapping the situation as is, how even with all the power that's been packed into Shigaraki's body, he doesn't have the strength to actually break into the prison on his own. But fortunately, he can coordinate stuff with the people who are actually in the prison. And that makes things easier. So he uses one of his quirks, I think, to just open up a bunch of locks and let out a bunch of prisoners uh, the suppression squad starts to come out and start to fire at some of the uh, at some of the villains, and uh, it doesn't work. They get taken out immediately by some of the villains, including Muscular and Moonfish. I thought about putting Moonfish in the quiz last week for you, Chris. I think but, if when I guessed Mustard, I gave I, the first guess I gave for his name was something like Skin Ripper or something like that, and I think mm-hmm. what I was thinking of was. Moonfish, because I was like, there was a dude who had like a stupid name that didn't really connect. And I don't know, even Moonfish is a fucking, I don't know, toothpaste thing. I don't know, but it, it didn't connect in my mind. So, yeah, seeing him, uh, yeah, what a beloved uh, return of these characters. Yeah. Muscular, I was kind of like, oh, okay, Musco's back in the series now. And then Moonfish came out, and I was like, I mean, all right, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> but uh, Nick, what about the big character this week? You mean the multi-hair-colored woman who I don't recognize? Yes, who is apparently a new character, but everyone is already shipping with everybody. Everybody's like, this is the character I care about the most. I mean, she's the attractive girl, so of course, Uh it's my hero. Uh, And then she lets out a guy who's kind of scruffy looking, and he says, boss. And that's it. That's overhaul, isn't it? 
That's I why it was dead. I think we thought it was ambiguous, and it seemed like he was dead. But his well, sleeves, have, his, his arms are going over his his his, his sleeves his, are going over his arms. Yeah, his I think his sleeves are are gone. So, mm. I guess it could be him. I think that's who it's supposed to be, and that's why when the door opens, it's their thing is like I have to go to the boss. My my Yakuza boss guy. Hmm. All right. Anyway, uh. Muscular looks up and recognizes Shigaraki, and Shigaraki is staring at All for One, and uh, who is now just free. It's cool. He's got what looks like the warden hanging from one hand, and he says, This impending void era will give rise to a more perfect demon lord. This will be the story of how I become the greatest demon lord of all. You fucking dork calling yourself a demon lord you little asshole sure uh somebody said and i i just didn't notice it i guess back when there was like a conversation between all for one and one for all uh one for all had kind of mentioned like don't you get it like you you stop reading the story in the last like five pages the the demon lord loses to the mighty hero in every story <laughs> and i guess he just he's just never read those last 15 pages he's just like i'm gonna be the coolest demon lord and i'm gonna reap and reap and never sow um yeah so honestly like it's weird because this sort of makes out that All for One might actually not be nearly as mature a villain over Shigaraki as he has given the impression of for the past. What chapter are we on? 297 <laughs> chapters. <laughs> he's always tried to be like, I am the wise master who will mold you. And then he's just like, no, he's also just some, this little asshole on some massive power fantasy. So, yeah, I do love how he just took the entire life uh, support machine and it's just like floating behind him. He's like, I, I, I still need this. Nobody, nobody fuck with this. <laughs> I will die without it. <laughs> Don't you get any ideas, Shigaraki? <laughs> uh, um, I do appreciate that this all took place in one chapter and yep. we're just like, okay, go move on. Like we are getting to whatever time skip or whatever is ahead and we're not going to spend a month or whatever on this prison break. So, I, I'm I'm more curious on your thoughts because I I don't like as a casual kind of my hero fan, all of these characters showing back up and everything like that was very much a I vaguely remember you like there's no fanfare. Um, so I was mm -hmm. curious if it was more exciting for you to see some of these characters come back and the prospect of some of it. In terms of the characters that get a spotlight that are returning. Honestly, the 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 only one that really makes a blip is muscular because like, OK, well, there's that character that was kind of important for a little bit and they're back. That's 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 fine. I have no interest whatsoever in overhaul because his arc was terrible. Um, and beyond that, I mean, if Stain had showed up and actually gotten a bit of a highlight, I'd be like, oh, cool, Stain, you know, because that guy was important enough that he influenced some other people. And it would be interesting to see how him escaping because of all for one. And if he actually, what actions he would take from there. And uh, so I guess, honestly, the character that I am most intrigued by is actually the multi-haired girl, because I have no idea who she is. And I, and I kind of want to find out. So that's, that's basically it. Um, this is a bit of the villain gang getting back together and none of the ones that are returning that got any focus really intrigue me all that much. 
All right. There we go. It's an okay chapter. Now, if Mustard were there <laughs> with his gun. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Also, Kuragiri was one, was one of the ones that showed up in the montage, obviously. So. Yeah, they didn't really show him a lot. And I assume he's like one of the people they're definitely getting out of there because he's like super important to their group and still definitely loyal, I think. So, yeah. All right, let's talk right. about Boruto. All right, Boruto before Eden Zero. Okay. Uh, Boruto. Bor- Boruto Kaiju number eight and Spy Family before Eden Zero. Number 54. <laughs> bro. Bro. So. Come on, bro. Bro. Fuck, this chapter's so much lamer now that I know the, remember the chapter title was Bro. So, Bor- Broruto uh, has been taken over by Momoshiki? Yes, that's the one. That's the name of the one that's uh, taking over his consciousness. Uh, so, this is a bad thing. And uh, because, obviously, everyone's still exhausted from the fight with Ashiki. So... Kawaki uh, is fighting Boruto throughout this chapter while also remembering how, you know, they became buddies over the course of the, you know, several chapters prior to all of this happening. I think that this process actually started a year and a half ago because monthly chapters are weird to keep up with. Um, He also... Uh, when Momoshiki says something, says like he makes a crack like your freedom is fleeting. He says, "Shut up, white eye," which sounds racist, but I'm not sure if it is. <laughs> um, it's like, I know it's because of the of the Byakugan or whatever, but it sounds weird. Uh, they fight for a bit, uh, and eventually, um, Boruto just stabs Kawaki in the back, uh, and so Sasuke kicks him. And then, okay, so one of the things I observed about this chapter, and it's one of the major reasons why I didn't care for it all that much, but I'm not super upset about it or anything. Um, They do the pronoun thing a lot in this chapter. They do it like four times. I guess I'll have to use that. It's a good thing I did that. Oh, it's him. They do that like three or four times. And... It's really annoying because it's not something that remains hidden past the end of the chapter. It's, I'll have to do that. Flip, flip. Oh, that was this. Yeah. Like, that. <laughs> I'll allude to the thing I'll just reveal in two pages. Like, it's, it's dumb and annoying. Boruto basically says that... The <laughs> Sorry. I just, I, when I read this page, it made me go, yep. Kishimoto is rewriting this series again. So he says to Kawaki, the extraction progressed quite far, which means it should work. And then Kawaki's like, what do you mean by that? And Boruto says, even if karma itself has vanished, the Otsutsuki data that was extracted still remains in your body. What? I know what they're trying to say that he's still he's he's enough Otsutsuki at this point to be the sacrifice as apparently needed but it was a way like 80% complete of your dad like it's just a very like why would you say it like that the progress bar got all, almost all the way filled up so it's bad 
<laughs> you know, I mean, the installation didn't complete, but there's a lot of temp files that are in use. <laughs> <laughs> so Sasuke is like, oh, he's planning to sacrifice Kawaki the exact same way that Ishiki was planning to sacrifice Boruto. Oh, no. And so, yeah, Momoshiki in Boruto is like, I'll feed you to the ten tails that Ishiki hid away and feed you and claim its fruit. Because remember, that was the entire plot of the Otsutsukis that was introduced in this series. Good Lord. Naruto's tired. He lies down. Uh, (laughs) I'm just going to take a nap. Kawaki and Boruto fight some more. Sasuke tries to fight Boruto with his sword. And... Uh, then he unleashes like a Chidori or something through his sword and it just zaps Boruto and knocks him away. And Sasuke's like, that's weird. He could have just absorbed the jutsu with karma. Why didn't he? Um, Momoshiki is like, are you really going to kill your favorite student? And Sasuke is like, hey, remember that conversation I had with you like three chapters ago where I said I would kill you? Yes. Yes, I will. So, <laughs> cool. Uh, he... Keeps on trying to nail Momoshiki uh, and eventually like the fight kind of breaks up a little bit and Sasuke gets Kawaki's attention while Kawaki is like, something's wrong with the Hokage. He's like napping or something. Uh, And Sasuke says, hey, I've got an idea. I think that he's not using karma because that means he has to absorb jutsu, which means that he absorbs chakra. And I think that the reason that he woke up is because Boruto exhausted all of his chakra. So therefore, he's trying to prevent Boruto from waking up and regaining control of his body. Momoshiki goes, it's time that I use that. And then on the next page, he uses the vanishing Rasengan, which was that. Cool. Uh, It knocks Sasuke to the ground. Kawaki gets knocked around a bit. He remembers how he and and Boruto are buddies now. Uh, He sets himself on fire. And since Bort, and since Momoshiki needs him to sacrifice, he's like, oh, I, ca- I can't let this happen. And so he absorbs the fire jutsu, which causes Boruto to start waking up. Uh, he re- tries to resist this. He tries to use space-time jutsu to whisk uh, Kawaki away. But Boruto takes enough control for him to rip the horn off of his head. And that frees him from possession, I guess. Karma fades. And they... They all collapse and they're 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 like, hey, we made it, hooray! And they, he and Kawaki, kind of insult and congratulate each other at the same time. Sasuke goes over to Naruto and is like, what the? No way! And uh, Naruto's face is dirty, so I guess that that's what he was reacting to. The Naruto's face got dirty because um, I th- this panel does not make it immediately obvious what has happened with Naruto. Is he dead? Is he in a coma? I don't know. Sasuke's upset about the way he looks. Yeah, he just says, what the? No way! Uh, so maybe he's dead. I think the far more likely thing is maybe he's like in a coma or something or some kind of like unconscious state. Um, Probably. Who knows? I actually kind of like this chapter. I thought it was actually a pretty cool moment for Kawaki to figure it all out. And basically, you know, sort of like his plan the other week or the other month where he was like, Look, I'm basically kind of going to put the onus on you because you need me at this point to complete your plan. I'm going to set myself on fire. So you got to absorb that fire or else your entire plan comes to falls apart. And absorbing that fire is just enough uh, chakra to, to, to give Boruto his chance to, to fight back. 
And I, I do appreciate the friendship between them. This is a payoff to like these two kind of having like a, a somewhat uh, tempestuous relationship. It just is very dorky with the whole bro stuff. Like, it, yeah. like bro, Uto and Browaki are gonna bro it out together and, and fist bump because they're bros. It's just like I don't know. We could have maybe just made it a little bit, a little, a little less dorky is all. I was kind of hoping, but generally. I actually liked. It. I thought it was a cool moment for Kawaki, and I, I appreciated that. Um, but yeah, there's there's also a lot of very frustrating parts of the chapter too. It's like a really good last like six pages, basically. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're on to Kaiju number eight, chapter twenty-two. Uh, so it's uh, I, I believe that. Wait, did I open up the wrong one? Hang on. Let me make sure. No, no, this is the right one. Okay, good. Sorry. Uh, Ichikawa wakes up in the hospital. Uh, Kafka and uh, Hibino are there to uh, greet him as he wakes up. Immediately, Ichikawa is, is like, oh, you're safe. <laughs> like, Dude, you have holes in your body. <laughs> uh, but, um, you know. After Kafka's like, oh, come on, you, you idiot. What are you, what are you talking about? He says, oh, hey, thank you for saving me. And uh, and also uh, Iharu. Um, and uh, then it turns out Iharu is in the same hospital room with them. And so they have to be like, oh, what are you talking about? Uh, uh, I don't know. And uh, so Iharu's like, I thought the Kaiju number eight saved us. And to me, <laughs> Kikaru's got to be like, oh, he meant thank you for realizing where the Yoju's reproductive organs were. <laughs> Yeah. So, um, Iharu is like, it's kind of weird to say this about Kaiju number eight, but it was actually really cool. You know, the, the way that it just knocked number nine's head off of its shoulders. And it was pretty awesome. Uh, and then he's like, yeah, which is the two, you could have seen it. And Kak is like acting all embarrassed and flattered. And so Kikura like punches him in the kidney. He's like, Shut up, you fucking, you're so fucking obvious. <laughs> so. Uh, she goes out to report to the rest of the crew that they're going, that the two of them are going to be released today and they hold a welcome back party once everyone gets back to headquarters. And also it's a kind of a way to celebrate their wrap for their first mission together. So it's a nice celebration that they have. Uh, and then it turns out that it's a much bigger celebration than Kafa was expecting because the guy who was in charge of organizing it named Haruichi, um, is very rich because like his dad basically designed all the equipment that they use to fight the kaijus. He's the scion of Izumu Izumo Tech. So this guy's being bigged up a little bit along with, you know, we're we're gradually getting to learn the rest of uh, Kafka's unit as we go go along in this series. Mm-hmm. Uh eventually uh people start arguing uh, as they eat and drink together, Ichikawa is kind of on the sidelines observing everything along with uh, Hoshina, who kind of gets this smirk on his face like right before it starts because like the real fun is going to start now. Iharu starts f- fighting with Kikaru. Uh, Kafka gets drunk really fast and starts talking about how Izumo's suits don't let him, <laughs> don't work for him basically, <laughs> which kind of, you know, exposed himself. But as everyone starts arguing, and Ichikawa is really worried at first, they actually start going over the mission with each other, and they're kind of pointing out how they could all improve. 
by being mad at each other. And so Ichigo realized like, oh, this will let us see where we're lacking. And so we can all work together to get stronger. Cool. Um, but eventually people are getting rowdier and rowdier. And Ichigo was like, guys, this is this is way too much. Do you guys know? And Hoshina's like, no, no, it's fine. Uh, because he's a great boss, I guess. Yeah, he's but just eventually like, he just goes, Yeah. Eventually he says, oh, wait, guys, settle down. I have an announcement to make. And he calls over to Kafka and he says, your findings during the operation have gone on record for substantially mitigating potential damage. So you're getting promoted to general officer. We informally made the decision today. We'll formally set you up at a later date. But once again, welcome to the Defense Force 3rd Division, officer. And that's where we end the chapters. Kafka and Ijikawa look at each other and he's like, yeah. And hey, that Kafka is now a full officer. So he's achieved his goal. Hooray. Yeah, I, this is not like a super thrilling chapter, but it's a cute chapter. You know, it's fine. We get a little bit of like, presumably this is somewhat of like an informal introduction to uh, um, Izumo. Haruichi. Haruichi. Uh, so, yeah. you know, presumably that's what that is ultimately meant to accomplish. And then, yeah, you know, Kafka gets promoted. So, okay, now he doesn't have the the big worry about being a cadet anymore. He, he doesn't have that timetable mm -hmm. on him. So, you know, there's some decent stuff in there. But for the most part, it's basically just like, hey, let's see these characters kind of hang out for a little bit. But we don't even get that much of them actually hanging out. Um, but still good. Yeah. It was an all right. It was a nice little chapter. Yes. Mm -hmm. All right. Spy family. This is like our first Damien chapter. Like it's all Damien. Like Anya's barely in it at all uh, because there's some trip that's going on that Damien basically uh, is just missing out on. And uh, he uh, because he misses morning muster. And so he has to help out around the dorm to do the chores there's a cute little moment where his hangers on deliberately break the rules so that uh, Hofferson will send them to do chores with Damien so that they can hang out together and suffer through the punishment together. And it's kind of nice because like he clearly like has seen through this, um, but he's like, you know, it's this is very nice, you know, that they're all young friends and stuff. Um and so eventually he decides that they need a different punishment. And so he sends the three of them on a field research trip with Mr. Green in the conservatory with the rough and tumble sort of sort of guy. He's got an eye patch on and he he takes them on an outdoor trip. Uh, they go canoeing. Uh, everyone falls in the water uh, and they're, they're like, we're going to drown. And he's like, guys, you can stand up. And uh, so the, you know, crazy six-year-old stand up. They build a fire together. They catch worms from the dirt in order to put them on fishing lines so that they can catch fish and they eat fish together and stuff. And Mr. Green talks to the kids about, uh, you know, like, hey, you know, this is, you know, very valuable to you guys because Sometimes it's good to shut your brain off for a bit. It really helps out this, uh, uh, with uh, studying, according to neuroscience. You know, it allows different... Letting yourself space out is good for your cognizance, basically. And Damien responds to this by psyching himself up to turn his brain off, which, of course, defeats the purpose, but, you know. 
Um, and he talks to everyone about, hey, you know, may, you guys maybe want to think about uh, what you want to do when you when you grow up, because there's all these infinite possibilities and stuff. Uh, and so like, it, there's and there's a nice little thing because like, you know, he talks to his other friends and he's like, you know, it's wonderful that you guys have a goal. Damien, of course, is, you know, trying to follow down his father's path. One of his friends says he wants to become a cosmonaut. His other friends like, I mean, I don't. I don't know what I want to do. And Mr. Green's like, you don't? Well, that's fine, too. So, And so the guy's like, I want to be able to eat a lot of candy. All right, that's fine. Go dream about that. <laughs> cool. Yeah. And, uh, you know, night falls. They look up at the stars while they're out over this this open lake and stuff. And uh, Mr. Green is like, hey, you know, check it out. You know, you can look at the reflection of the stars. It's like you could reach in and grab the stars out of the water. Um, and Damien's like, Hey, it's not like, what, where, where are you wasting my time for? I mean, get, fine, I guess it's pretty, you know. So they, they all kind of, you know, lay back and they just kind of relax together and they just look out over the stars and stuff. And Damien's finally ever, able to actually relax to the point where one of his friends says something like the stars look like sugar sprinkled in the sky and he starts like, ooh, yummy. And Damien laughs and they're like, oh, he actually laughed. He was actually able to relax that much. Eventually, they all get back to the dorms, and Mr. Green goes to uh, Henderson and uh, says that uh, he's got uh, reports from people, and uh, there's, like, some very hastily scrawled stuff. Like, there's a little note from Damien that just says, we saw a lot and did a bunch of stuff. It was fun. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> uh, but uh, mission, mission accomplished. They... Looks like we've lost Nick for a moment. So, I'm here. I'm here. Okay. All right. We had an internet internet hiccup there. Uh, Now I can hear you now. Um, I think you were just basically wrapping up the chapter and all that. Wrapping up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, This is a fun chapter. Um, It's, you know, it's good to get a little bit more about uh, Crab and Goyle. I always, you know, appreciate it. They are. not interesting enough individually that I would bother to remember which one is which. Uh, but I do oh. like that they have a, a sweet childlike innocence of real friendship with Damien. I, I, I appreciate that. These aren't two guys who are hangers on because they like to bully other people or they're just mean. They actually seem to genuinely like Damien and they're still kids. So, you know, I, I, I like... It, it it felt okay for me to break root for them in this chapter, basically, uh, where Damien's had character growth and like things revealed to this point. Those two kids were just assholes who hung out with them. But yeah. it was nice to see in this chapter there's more to them than that. And it was a very cute thing. Like They both intentionally get themselves in trouble, so they have to go to detention so they can hang out with them. It's It's always very uh, cute. Um, so I like the chapter. Yeah, it was very it was a very nice little thing. And. I mean, it's not a it's not a big thing where it's like you point to any one element and you go, it's like, oh, this was really cool. It's just more like it's nice to have this very humanizing little chapter, this little story that lets you know, hey, these three kids were kind of little shits on you, but they're six year old kids. So. Yeah. All right, Nick, let's move on to Eden Zero. We got a double help in the chapters to talk about this week. So we're going to start. We're going to start with chapter 125, The Heart of Gravity. We have a cover page 
I don't know what this is supposed to be. Rebecca is clearly trying to be dressed like a sexy gangster. Um, but no one else yeah. is wearing gangster clothes. So I don't know why no. she is. <laughs> Happy looks like he's like some sort of a showman. Uh, uh, and, and like that. And Shiki started to dress himself and uh, then decided that it was cold. And so he was just going to wear a robe over the rest of it. So. Yeah, I don't, I don't quite get it. Oh, it's also a shame. I, I, I feel like there are cooler ways to do the gangster outfit than to have to, you know, do a, a push-up broad stocking and girdle kind of thing. So, or garters, whatever the fuck it's called. Uh, garters. A good, a good pinstripe suit looks attractive on anybody, Nick. Except hippopotamuses. They could devour you in one bite. They're fast on lo- on land and in water. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> so a pinstripe suit doesn't look good on a hippopotamus because they will murder you? They're so dangerous. It lo- I mean, look, I guess technically, yes, the pinstripe suit still looks good on the hippopotamus, but it's going to kill you. So you really can't even appreciate it. So in that way, it doesn't look good because you didn't have time to appreciate it. A pinstripe suit should be a valued and appreciated, but you were too busy getting devoured by the most dangerous creature in the world. Pound for pound. So we start the chapter... <laughs> We start the chapter basically uh, recapping that things are pretty bad. Uh, uh, Chris is basically like, hey, I had to get clean back to the ship because she's freaking right the fuck out. Uh, the witch is like, hey, we've lost contact with uh, Hermit and Wise. Uh, they ask Laguna to head to the ship and try to find them. They throw a joke that Moskoy will handle the rest of the ships. Who cares? Uh, we go back to uh, creepy doctor dude whose name I don't bother remembering. Uh, he's basically holding up Wise, doing his big threatening thing. Like, oh, this is so interesting. Wise is like, huh, I guess I could just use Arsenal. He's like, no, wait, that won't work. And then he's like, wait, no, it will work. <laughs> and then he uses it and punches the doctor away. Um, immediately goes over and starts comforting Hermit, which is good. You know, he, he, he does his Iron Man mask pull up to be like, hey, look, it's a friend. You have a friend here. You're okay. You know, and it's 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 a very little sweet moment for the, the bit. Uh it's it's the best part of the two chapters, honestly. Yeah. Uh, immediately, though, the doctor just starts going like, "Oh no, I won't let you! Time to push the evil switch!" And he pushes it, and I guess all the robots get even more evil. Uh, so before, where they were just making people walk around and act like dogs, uh, now they just shoot and kill them. So, I guess that is a little bit more evil. That is true. Uh, Rebecca is watching on, and then like. An adorable little girl who I don't think we've seen before walks at the frame like, ah, help me. So Rebecca. No, we haven't seen yeah. her before now. Um, before we go too far beyond it, I, the scene where the, the human who is acting like a dog gets shot is so weird because it's one of those things. It's it's like. Hero was doing one of his joke fetish bits and then interrupted it with murder. Like it's, <laughs> it's such a weird jump from that. Yeah. Uh Rebecca jumps in. Uh I did not this the panel where she actually jumps in was very confusing to me. I legit when I first saw the panel, I was like, is that Mavis from Fairy Tale jumping in? And I was like, oh no, I guess that's Rebecca. 
Uh, it's just very difficult to tell because the outfit's not exactly clear. Uh, also a weird upskirt shot, but whatever. Um, There's also no transition from where she tells Happy that they need to stop it. Like, there's one panel where she says to Happy, Happy, and Happy goes, I, and you can see, like, he's starting to split into the guns. But then the very next panel is she's done a cartwheel while shooting the guns. Like, so yeah, to be at least one more frame between those. Uh, so Rebecca says, and we cut over to Shiki's talking to the mysterious robot man who basically just goes on a long rant about fucking gravity and how it's the weight of the heart. Look, gravity is going to be the fucking theme of this series. Apparently, gravity is also friendship. It'll allow you to make it. It's apparently not going to be a one time thing that he was able to use his gravity to pull fucking Dragon Joe's memories into him because he's like, yes, sometimes it makes others' hearts fall into you. It also sometimes attracts a young woman from the future. So maybe that is supposed to be playing some part into why Rebecca's cat leaper power kind of works the way it does. Uh, basically, just like, hey, it's very dangerous. Uh, fucking Elsie and Justice are continuing their stupid fight. The robots show up. They fight them in a bunch of attacks. Uh, they temporarily team up to fight the robots. And then uh, Mysterious Robot Guy just uses a big Magitek attack to basically like gravity everyone to the planet for a moment. And everyone's like, whoa, what happened? She's like, what did you do? Who, who are you? And the robot's like, I am the Magitek School of Gravity Martial Arts. I am its founder, Xenolith. I was Ziggy's mentor. That's the end of our first chapter. And then we're going to go over to chapter 126, Nick. This doctor, armed and dangerous. Um, So weird. Hamora needs more support, I think, in this cover page. I'm going to leave it at that. Um, So, yeah, this is Xenolith. Yeah. Uh, Xenolith. Is yeah. uh the the Ziggy oh, yeah, more support? Yeah, than that, that poor woman. <laughs> yeah, I was just like, I I feel like there should be straps or something. I guess we're in the magic future world, but uh, anyways, uh, Xenolith is Ziggy's mentor. This is a character we did get like teased about, so there is something to this. Uh, basically, like yeah, I trained him. Uh, they they show the flashback. It's a very Cobra Kai kind of thing of like look, we assumed you forgot this, so we're going to show the flashback that this happened so you have the context going forward. Because um, Hermit basically said, like, oh, yeah, Master Xenolith, instructor in the Magitek arts, and Cheeky was immediately like, oh, can we be friends? And she interrupts him, like, he died a thousand years ago. Uh, and yes. Cheeky's like, but wait, I heard you died a thousand years ago. He's like, oh, yeah, I did. Well, my human body did. Um, there's supposed to be a joke I guess running that Shiki doesn't have the reaction he wants when he yes. says big things. I'm just skipping yes. over it because it's stupid. Uh, he's like, yeah, I was a human. I was one of the heavenly knights of the dancing Sakura, which I guess might be another group we might be introduced to at some point. Maybe if we go back in time to the chronophage, which definitely feels like that's what this is setting up to. Um. He's basically just a wacky guy who's just like, oh, fuck, I wish Ziggy hadn't taught you all those stupid fucking moves. That asshole, he, he fucking, he, I should have gotten a patent on all my shit. I should be getting paid for this. Uh, but he's you like, see, Chris, he's a robot, but he didn't always used to be a robot. So he has a very wacky personality. Yeah. Unlike all the ro- robots who don't have wacky personalities in Indian Zero. Everyone who's a robot in this series and has always been a robot. And not wacky at all. 
Yeah. Anyway, so Moskoy is in this fight scene. And <laughs> <laughs> it's actually a very good point. And now that we know that humans can just also become robots, it really makes the, the robot uh, racism in the world make less and less sense. Uh, but hey, you know what? Doesn't have to make sense. Uh, the whole scene just ends with Xenolith being like, yeah, Siggy has fallen to gravity. I hope. Uh, the dark side of gravity. There's dark gravity, Nick. Nick, I don't know if you know, there's a morality to gravity. There's a light side, a dark side. They have to be in perfect balance of one another, or the gravity goes out of whack. Uh, so, you know, I hope you don't fall into He's dark so gravity. So, when I was listening to that uh, Sign of the Hedgehog song about going right through gravity... I didn't realize that that was actually about penetrating the stereotypical uh, views of good and evil. Mm. Uh, I just thought it was a silly song from a Sonic game that involved, you know, flying around and defying gravity. Oh, but, no. Uh, every, no. Every every Sonic the Hedgehog song has uh, intricately deep lyrics. Uh, follow me, trust in me, and we will escape from the city. That's talking about capitalism, Nick. Capitalism oh. is destroying us all, and uh, we need to work together. Uh, it's it's symbolized in the game by a truck, the uh, the infrastructure that keeps capitalism going, coming straight towards us, the player in that screen. And it's only once we escape it that now that we become Sonic, we're in his world. And that's why we turn the camera turns and suddenly we have his viewpoint now. And uh, live and learn is actually an anti-abortion. Got that one. All right. <laughs> Holy shit. All right. Elsie uh, and Justice are doing their stupid thing. They explain the gravity stopped them from killing each other because their attacks missed their vitals. So they're fine. And basically, they're just not going to continue the fight. Uh, we cut over. Uh, Hermora's cage has fallen out of the one dude's hand, and the big dude almost steps on it. So... I guess they're like, well, we'll unlock the cage so she doesn't get crushed, so she survives. So Hamora's out. And that fight just kind of ends because everyone decided it's... they didn't want to fight anymore or something. God. I don't know. I was going to say something much more neutral at the end of, of these two chapters, but this moment, when I read it, I was just like, what? Why? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we needed a conclusion to that fight that didn't have anything interesting happen. So uh, Rebecca shows up and picks some more up on the bike. By the way, she has that little girl on it. And the little yes. girl's like, oh, no, I I hope nothing bad happened to my egg robot friend. And we immediately got to a flashback of the egg robot getting sniped to death again. And she's like, uh, everyone's everyone's like, oh, but I really want one of them to be like, mm. like she's like, hey, but can you help me find my egg robot? My egg robot has to be so sad. And Rebecca has to be like, uh, if it helps, he's not crying anymore. <laughs> he's certainly not in pain anymore. There. Like everyone's like. Oh, listen, he's like, oh, yeah, that guy. Yeah, he's dead. <laughs> oh, yeah, like, I wish Hamor, this is why it's an inconsistent thing, because Hamor absolutely should be like, oh, man, that robot's dead as shit. He got sniped right through the fucking head. Oops, I said it out loud again. 
Hopefully this little girl will be able to cope with this and won't <laughs> dwell on the fact that her friend that she loved and cherished isn't gone forever. <laughs> She's like, everyone loved Egg Robot. He was everyone's friend. No one would hurt him. <laughs> um, Elsie and Justice fight ends. Elsie uh, basically just vanishes away. Uh, I forget what her name is, but female member of intergalactic is holy, holy, whatever her name is. Ugh, I and I also forgot it. Oration six, Interstellar, because Galactica is the bad guy version. I, I I don't think this one's the good guy version either. I guess the chaos version, New Order version. Um, basically, is there to chastise him and be like, hey, you know what? If you want to keep fucking around with your ex girlfriend or whatever, that's fine. But you should pay attention to Nero because he's definitely going to do something soon, especially for what Ziggy has done to Forrester. Uh, Clean gets back to the ship. She is really having a bad time. She's like, someone really, really bad is here. Immediately, Chris is like, use whatever parts of me you need to. Just save her. Sister's like, I'll do it. Cut to the ship. Apparently, a doctor's made of super metal. He can't be hurt. He's impossible to hurt. And he decides to use this opportunity to explain about how he did it. He's like, yes, I used lots of guinea pigs to get this point. My best work was on the Rutherford siblings. I was so cartoonishly evil to an extent I don't know. I I don't even know what the purpose was. I just made I just tied up the sister and made her watch as I tortured the brother. There was no I called it science, but I I didn't I didn't learn anything from it. In my in my lab report I gave it a name and a number and everything. I was like experiment zero zero four. I'm gonna hit the brother now with a chainsaw while the sister watches. <laughs> At the end, uh, reporting results from Expanded 500 with the chainsaw. Uh, it was very funny. I laughed quite a lot. <laughs> he was like, all right, and uh, now to see if I rejected my null hypothesis. <laughs> I didn't write down what it was, so I don't know. Okay, I guess we have to do this all over again. Oh, no. <laughs> my hypothesis that this would be 400% funnier than the last time I did it. I proved it correct, although my next hypothesis will be, what if I did it with two chainsaws? <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the smartest doctor in the universe. <laughs> um, okay, so I'm just going to go with my original comment about these chapters. So, this is all dumb. Mm-hmm. But, honestly, there are little tidbits here and there throughout it that make me go, okay, that would actually probably be kind of interesting. And it makes me realize, yes, this is why Hero still has fans, is that some of the ideas that he has are interesting and everything moves at such a blistering pace all the time that if something doesn't work, you just move past it anyway. And you if you have a positive outlook on the on these things, you just remember the cool bits and then everything else just kind of like gets moved on from very quickly. Yeah. Um. I do like the idea of the uh, siblings, like the reason why they are the way that they are, uh, is that there was this one incident where one of them was tampered with physically and that affected the other one emotionally. And that's where they are right now. It's a cool it's a cool idea. I have no idea why the two of them, however, are nowhere near the doctor right now if they are apparently intrinsically tied to him. Uh, And it seems like this entire sequence is 
almost as packed as the Wano arc in One Piece in terms of <laughs> it, all the shit that's going on. This is two <laughs> chapters, and it feels like 40 chapters happened in the span of this. Like, a bunch happens, and a lot of it... I, I think the biggest issue I have is I don't understand why the fuck this doctor is important to so many characters' life when he is not an interesting character at all. He is just a sadistic, weird doctor, and he's responsible for the trauma for, like, three different crew members on the Eden Zero at this point. Like, why? I guess he's the villain of this arc. I guess, I guess. but again, why? Why this character? Why, like... Why a character with this little personality? And like, it, it just seems very odd to me. But I didn't even realize as I was making the chainsaw joke that in the actual flashback, he was wielding a chainsaw. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> fucking course he is. Of course he's used the chainsaw. This song, no, no, these chapters are stupid. Um, <laughs> There's a couple decent bits in them. But yeah, this... I feel like we're we're moving towards a section of the series that is going to be very very dumb very uh soon. I, I feel like dark gravity very might too, yeah. be a thing, and yeah. And apparently, Shiki's gravity powers and drawing things that aren't physical towards him is going to be a thing as well going forward. So, mm-hmm. yeah. all right. Magu-chan, God of Destruction, Chapter 27, A Destructive First Shrine Visit of the Year. It's the new year, uh, rap, kind of wrapping up the holiday arc that has involved Ruru's mom visiting. Uh, and it's uh, it's New Year, so they're going to go to on the first shrine visit of the year, as you know, a lot of as a big tradition in Japan. And uh, so they're going out to do that. Uh, so Ruru goes with her mom. They also bring Magu along and immediately Magu realizes like, wait a minute, this is the place that we were at during the summer festival. I demonstrated my powers once before, but the shrine still gathers more lowly human followers. So he decides that he needs to demonstrate that he is superior to their pathetic local God. And so he's going to basically go all around and do a bunch of things to gain followers I guess it's his idea to begin with. He doesn't really seem to act that way. He seems like he's just goofing around when he does this after he splits into seven morphalactics and he just goes and spreads all around in order to gather humans to worship him Um, and then just kind of hides instead. It's weird. It basically becomes a scavenge hunt for Rue from there. She has to go all around the festival and find all the various Morphalactics of uh, Magu. Uh, her mom makes a joke after the Morphalactics split off that if they gather all seven, maybe they can make a wish. Hey. I get that. That's a Yu-Gi-Oh reference. Hot dog. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> if you gather all seven pieces of Exodia, you can make a wish. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> it's his arms, his legs, his body, his head, and his cock. His cock is its own piece. It's the biggest piece, though. It's like an extra large card. Chris, I made that joke when I was 13. So, <laughs> And then I stole it and made it uh, 30 years, <laughs> 20 years later, Nick. Yeah. You're welcome. I saved it from the bin. Cool. Uh, <laughs> one of the first things that happened is that Ruru runs into Ren and Rin. Uh, Rin 
at first looks a lot shorter than Ren, but I'm pretty sure it's just because she's slacking off, drugging out as she always does. <laughs> she's just like, holy shit, the monsters are back. <laughs> Fuck yeah, I didn't even drop acid today. <laughs> this is the best day of my life. <laughs> um, And uh, Ruru gets the idea to just cut the plot of the chapter short by getting Naputaku to use his uh, shout to just get all the Magachans gathered up. Uh, but he's drunk, so that's not going to happen. So Ruru just ends up going around the festival. I'm just going to kind of skip ahead. She finds one with like candy apples. She finds one fighting with a dra- with a you know one of the festival dragons. Ruru's mom starts getting really into the scavenging hunt and like starts scoring something. Uh, it's yeah. never really clarified what it is she's scoring. Eventually, they also come across Uneris and Izuma. Uh, and they use one of the magus as like a ball for like table tennis or something like that. That gets them down to just there's one magu chan left that they have to find. And so they get the idea to get the morphalactics to eat, eat some mochi so that the last one will be jealous and will be drawn towards them. Um, so they actually jump into like the mochi kneading pit the mochi pounding pit thing and Izuma is like um I'm going to hit them and so he gets the mallet and tries to hit them uh, and instead it kind of joins them into a weird mass that's gooed in with all the the uh, mochi and uh, the last Magu-chan was uh, hiding up in the sky as a hot, as a kite you know gathering followers I guess uh-huh. As so, noble uh, kites often do. Yeah. So uh, it gets upset that the other Magus were, you know, getting offerings and he wasn't. So it cannibalizes them and then explodes into a giant fireball in the sky. And so we just kind of catch up with everyone later on. Ruru, you know, does her thing where she does a punishment uh, by tying up uh, Magu, but he doesn't seem all that put off by it. But anyway, and, uh, that's it. That's that's the, that's New Year's, and it's time for Ruru and her mom to say goodbye. So they they embrace, and she says, "Hey, I'm glad that I got to meet you, Magachan." Uh, and uh, then she says, "And Ruru is like, oh man, even after all the trouble that he caused." But her mom says, "No, now that I've met him, I realize that he is a god of destruction, but he's not a bad god. He has such a gentle eye. Please continue looking after my Ruru." And that's basically it. She's she she leaves and wishes her safe travels. And that's the end of this little saga with Ruru and her mom. So that's that's uh, my good shot for this week. Yeah. Um. So I really like like the last two pages where uh, uh oh god I'm uh, Ruru's mom. Uh, sorry, I forgot even I the characters. Ru- I think it's Ruri. Yeah, I just I couldn't even remember Ruru's name for a while. I wanted to call her yeah. Ren. Uh, Ruru, Ruru's mom's goodbye. It's very sweet. I like that. It's a sweet little moment. I like her being like, no, this is actually a good god. I can see it. He has a very gentle eye, and that 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 does feel very true. It does. That's kind of the joke of Magu-chan, but he is drawn in a very gentle way, and it does feel like that's something that Ruru's mom would be able to identify and be like, no. I think you're good to have around my daughter, actually. she She's going to need friends right now. So I like that. The rest of the chapter, I I mean, yeah, some people are saying it's very culture dependent. I, I don't even think it's necessarily that culturally dependent. I, I think 
by this point i've seen enough japanese festivals and manga and video games that i can kind of gather the tropes i just don't think it's particularly hilarious so it's sort of like we had to do that to get to like the end where a good thing happened and at this point i just assumed festivals in maguchan are cursed and are never interesting chapters so uh but i, I did like the very end it was okay um yeah, I, th- I thought that all the festival shenanigans and stuff were, I don't know, it, it was it was really weird to go through it and be like, ah, so this is what Chris means whenever there's a mediocre comedy. <laughs> and yeah. It's just like, there's a lot of jokes and I know jokes are happening, but none of them are funny. To yeah, me. it's very exhausting. <laughs> uh, but yes, I, I, I agree with you that at least the last two pages, dude, there is a nice little heartwarming thing. And it's nice to see that after Ruru's mom met Magu, that they got to really, really understand each other. So, Mm -hmm. but let's move on from there to Dr. Stone Z equals 181 new world science. Uh, Last time, of course, everyone discovered all the petrification devices, making a big ass pyramid in the middle of South America. We get a two-page color spread at the beginning of this chapter that has nothing to do with that. Instead, it looks like Senku built a portal into the One Piece world and (laughs) saved Ace's life. That, I, Nick, I'm not going to lie. When I first read that cover page, I I got a little choked up because there was something so very sweet to the idea that the jump protagonists are all kind of united in their own goal that, like, Senku would create this portal to save Ace's life for, like, I don't know why, but I was just like, thank you, Senku. Mm-hmm. And then I realized, it's like, I know, I don't know. It just didn't make sense to me, but it got me emotional for some reason. I was like, fuck yeah, Senku, you saved Ace. <laughs> and I like, and Kanu's like. And you gave him nipples. Yeah. And Kanu's fucking little hand is just like, oh, like he just has a big question mark. He's like, what happened? <laughs> Also, Suika's in the background, and she can see what happened, too. Yeah. From a very odd perspective. So, In the actual plot of the the, uh, series, Senku grabs a handful of petrification devices and just goes one meter, three seconds, and then chucks them away from himself, and none of them activate after everyone has a little bit of a freakout about him trying to do that. So, emboldened by this, Taiju goes, guys... If I turn into stone taiju again, give me some of that sweet revival fluid. And he just goes Scrooge McDucking into the piles <laughs> of petrification <laughs> devices and going one meter, one second. And he just goes hopping from, from pile to pile and none of them activate. <clears throat> so Senku's like, yeah, nothing here works. It's they're all out of, uh, out of juice. Uh, and, Ryusui agrees and says, and it's not about how much time has passed. The one on Treasure Island died after zapping the entire island, so it's no surprise that the ones that covered the entire island would be dead, too. So, presumably, of course, you know, these are all the devices that were activated together in order to petrify the Earth, so they would have exhausted their powers covering the entire globe. Makes sense. Uh... Zeno goes, you know, gives a little speech saying, like, it must have been quite a sight to see, to see all of them happen doing that and then flashing and give, and creating a layer of stone over everything. And Gen's like, 
hey, can I see your right hand? You know, the one that, you, you know, and uh, maybe you put a Medusa device in your pocket. You know, you, you just gave a the cool speech in order to divide or divert everyone's attention away from the fact that you were trying to sneak one away. Yeah, uh, I'm a mentalist. I see through that. So. But Senku says, whatever. He can have it. Battery's dead. He can't cause any trouble with it. We're guarding him. He can't, he can't really do anything. Uh, but hey, if your interest is piqued, we can use your knowledge for our research because our only chance of winning against Stanley's people involves using the Medusa. Uh, so Suika says, but if they're all useless, what can we do with them? But Tsukasa says, this vast quantity gives us a new option, though. And he puts on, like, some brass knuckles, which, okay, I don't think we've ever seen him use that before. But I, he just... I feel ahead. like we saw it once, but I, I can't. It it feels vaguely familiar, but it, I don't know. Yeah, it, it, it was something where I was like, oh, I guess we have brass knuckles. He just starts using them to smash some petrification devices. And, of course, they realize, like, hey, we've got Joel over on the other side. He can do some of the delicate autopsies and stuff like that. But if we've got all of these various different ex expired Medusas, we can just willy-nilly smash them open in order to find out how, how they work, basically. So start working on that. We cut over to uh, the uh, Perseus. And Matsukaze and Ginro are talking about how worthless they are. Uh, then Stanley is talking with some people about how they're, you know, trying to uh, track down the science kingdom. And the guy that they've got watching the radar says that, you know, yeah, their bike trails say that they escaped down the Amazon River, uh, which means that they are going to eventually have to construct a new ship. And when that happens, that's going to slow them down which means even though we are taking the long way going all the way around the tail of South America, we are going to catch up to them, which means that this is going to take a while for them because that's a long trip to make. Mm -hmm. uh, and also they say there's no way they can hide either because we've got radar and they can't hide from that. Uh, meanwhile, everyone's been working on a ship over in the science kingdom and it's a really weird shape with some sharp angles to it. And there's slanting faces and stuff like that. Nukio immediately realizes what it is, of course, because of you know his background. They are trying to make a stealth vessel, uh, something that has weird, jagged, slanted edges to it, which will bounce uh, radar waves away in a way that uh, makes it difficult to be detected. Uh, so they make a stealth ship. Uh, there are some remarks about how guys like sharp angled designs. Yeah, shut up. Uh, <laughs> but uh, they do a test with some radar. And Ukiyo's like, I mean, it's it's kind of sort of showing up. It's stealth-ish. It's hard to detect for its size, but they're still not hidden completely from radar. Chrome starts to get an idea. And he's like, hard to detect for its size. So being large in volume makes it easier to see on radar. And Risu's like, yeah, if it's really, really big, it's really easy to see on radar. And so Chrome points out, well, this huge mass of Medusas came crashing down to Earth when the Earth was petrified. So why didn't anyone notice them back then? And so they realize that the odd shape of the Medusas, the weird sort of double helix, uh, what is it called? Oh, gosh. 
Mobius, the sort of double Mobius strip that it is, uh, it doesn't show up on radar for for whatever reason. So that's part of the design of the design is is for function. And so they're like, oh, well, interesting. So Chrome goes, okay, well, if they don't show up on radar, <laughs> why don't we take a whole bunch of these and stick them all over the ship? <laughs> and they do. <laughs> And uh, they start setting sail, and uh, Zeno is kind of left in his new prison brig, and he looks at the petrification device that he was allowed to keep, and he goes, science is truly elegant. And I guess he's supposed to sound sinister or something like that, but anyway, that's the end of the chapter. I think it's supposed to be more, ma- like, uh, I think it is supposed to be more wondrous. I don't, I think it's supremely stupid they let him keep uh, Medusa. Like, mm-hmm. it just seems like a stupid idea that the heroes shouldn't have done because at any point, if they found a way to like activate it again, it'd be bad. But I feel like, I feel like we're inevitably going to get a, some kind of a quasi face turn for Zeno and him having a fake Medusa might be part of how he like does a bluff or something like that. But that feels like a very written way to do that. Whereas it feels like the heroes should much more be like, take that thing away from him. <laughs> like, I don't know, like just to be safe, you know? Um, well, they've already established in the series when Joel was experimenting on it, that if you take the power source out and put it back in, then it can give it a little bit of a spark of life very briefly. So it having run out of juice does not mean that it will not absolutely work. So, yeah, I guess the concept is that it took somebody who has the precision of like a watchmaker to do that. And that Zeno just won't have that precision or something like that. Regardless, that part was really, really dumb, but I really, really liked, uh, Chrome being the one to, to kind of put everything together. It is a little odd that no one else had at any point, like while they were building this big stealth vessel was just like, Oh, for how did, <laughs> yeah. Someone was like, how did this thing even get here or whatever? Like, how did nobody like know that was like, it took Chrome to kind of be like, Hey, why is it like this basically? But I do like that. And I, I really do like the idea that they've acquired this kind of futuristic stealth ship because they're just covering it in all of these, these Medusas that are just hanging around. I, I, it just seems like a really creative idea. And I do like that Chrome was the one to have it. Yeah. It was, it was it was a really cool contribution for his character to make. So. Mm-hmm. Really dug it. All right, Nick. Let's talk about Mashal Magic and Muscles, Chapter Forty Six: Rain Aims and God's Gift. So the chapter starts off with Mash playing the board game again, and it ends the yeah. exact same way. He lands on the space that it's discovered he can't use magic game over, and everyone's like, oh man, that stinks. He just can't get past it. I was like, Finn, who's like, I didn't even know there were game overs in this game. <laughs> like, what awful game has a game over in it for one player? Um... The Oregon Trail board game. That's the game. Uh, so Mash is just like, I'm going to go right. step out for a while. Uh, and everyone's like, oh, Mash. Just, it, you know, he's playing it cool, but it's eating up, up inside. This is so tough. And actually, he's just running out into the forest so he can eat his giant specialty cream puff all alone. <laughs> is he worried about being judged? I think, or, or, or does he not want to share? I think he doesn't want to share. I think he doesn't uh, want to have someone just take it from him 
Also, where was he keeping that? <laughs> I don't know, but he had it. <laughs> I, I just love how fast he runs just so he can pull out this giant creep up. He's like, finally, we're alone. <laughs> this is, of course, yeah. yeah, this is, of course, all just a way to get him present so we can actually see this fight that's happening between Rain and uh, uh, Margaret. And that fight's currently at this stalemate right now. Margaret's uh, surrounded Rain with all these music notes that are basically going to explode the moment he tries to cast a spell. And Margaret's just like, you know what? A triple liner, a god-gifted talent to find someone at my age who's achieved that level. I am so very blessed. Uh, and basically just goes on like a whole little spiel about all this. Like, ah, yes, you're you're caught. You'll never be able to get out of this. You've been in check since the moment I surrounded him. Uh, and Rain's just like, did Order put you up to this? It's not like you'd actually give a shit about what happens at the school. So I just have to assume this is Order's doing. And he's just like, all right, well, what, what, are, you, what are you trying to infer? He's like, hey. I know you're after the kid. He can't use magic. He may as well have no rights. I mean, who wouldn't despair at that? Jealous of those who have magic or gain who was ever born, hating society, all of those would be reasonable reactions. Mash doesn't think like that. He fights against his fate. And not that an underhanded rat like you would understand. And uh, Margaret's just like, oh, what a very cute speech that is. But I couldn't care less. Ha <laughs> ha. And Fine speech. Yes. <laughs> um, he. We basically get some retconning to explain why uh, a super powerful member of the Orca Dorm wasn't kind of involved in like the the coin hunt and everything like that that happened before. Basically saying, oh, well, he got a bunch of coins, but he just distributed them out to different members of Orca Dorm. So uh, that's why there really wasn't anything really considerate like that. That's why he's not been like a divide visionary candidate or anything along those lines. Um, so he's basically just like, Hey, you know what? Uh, you can produce a lot of magic, but skill matters too. And Margaret's skills and technique are top class. So you just can't do it. He, he closes his eyes and envisions himself in an auditorium to cheering fans. And he's like, yes, I can hear them. And his, his little cronies are playing music and there's going to be a giant attack, shoots a bunch of music. And he's like, you'll have to cast magic now. Check. Uh, and then we cut away to Wahlberg and the dude who explains things. And it's just like, so what exactly extinguishes a triple liner from a double liner? It's like, well, a three liner is chosen by the god, meaning they can unleash more power than a double liner. But that is not the only thing they can do. They can also bond Kai. <laughs> And it's like, <laughs> he's like, what do you mean? Bankai said it's a magic from the god. And Rain's wand starts to glow. And all of like, it's just a big sound, like a wave comes out, knocks all the music notes away. And he says, summon Ares, god of war. And Wahlberg says, oh, there. Use doom effects and blade rifts. Got mm -hmm. it. Cool. Uh, he says, their power can call upon a god's strength from within a wand. And he suddenly has a, a big uh, trident, basically. Uh, it's crackling with power. And everyone's like, what the fuck? Is his wand changed form? This is the this is the sword cane, the divine visionary of war. And Rain just responds, checkmate. And then uses black partisan. And uh, that's the way the chapter ends. As Margaret faces down what definitely looks to be his, his impending doom. Yeah, uh, it looks scary. Uh, I really do like the way that this looks once uh, Rain unleashes this power. Um, 
it's so weird to go from like just pure comedy chapters in Mashal to the intense, very traditional uh, shonen action scenes that happen. But it looks really, really cool. Hmm. Uh, so I give it that. Yeah, I liked it a lot. I, I know some people are saying this feels a little bit too early to kind of introduce a new mechanic or anything like that. But it is kind of worth noting the only character who we've seen have it and the only characters we can presume to have it are the characters who are in the hierarchy of the world above MASH. So mm-hmm. there are a lot of things. There are second death spells and whatever the era cruise or whatever dot supposedly is. So there are a bunch of stuff in the world that's kind of still left, to, I guess, explore to some extent. But I, I, I just like aesthetically where this goes. It is just Bonkai, but Bonkai was pretty dope. So you know what? Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm fine with it. And if you want to listen to how dope we feel individual Bonkais are, uh-huh. you can listen to the week. We might bonus episode where. We did a, a, a tier list of all the Bond guys in the series. Yeah. It's up on it. the Patreon. Yep. Uh, I look forward to whenever MASH unleashes the true power of his wand, and it's just by going out into the woods and getting a, a, a thick branch. Uh, <laughs> well, he has a wand. He has that lead pipe no. wand, and I hope his Bonkai is to just throw it really hard at somebody's head. <laughs> All right, let's do Ayakashi Triangle, Chapter 28, Nostalgic Home. Uh, we pick up this little chapter in Midiores, uh, where Matsuri and Suzu are in a house, uh, and they can't get out. There is some sort of invisible barrier preventing them from leaving, apparently due to some sort of an Ayakashi power. Then there's a cover page where Matsuri is just playing naked guitar. All right. Uh, we then cut to... Before they went into this house. Nick, haven't you ever played your guitar naked? Come on. Uh, No, for various reasons. Okay. So (laughs) uh, Ginraku, the artist guy, basically told them that there was a house that he was interested in buying and turning into a studio. But it's already occupied. And Matsuri is like, well, you're an Ayakasha too. Why don't you just go get chummy with it? And Ginraku's like, they won't open their hearts to me. So I need help from you guys. And he points out, Amy Matsuri, you're an exorcist ninja. Suzu, you're the king of Ayakashi. You both have to take care of the situation. Garaku uh, sends them on their way after providing them with the key of the place. So they go in and take a look at it, uh, along with Shirogane, who is immediately thrown out by some sort of invisible force. And the door slams uh, and keeps the, the two humans from getting out. Uh, Garaku's like, yeah, I figured you would get kicked out to Shirogane. And they just kind of wait for uh, the kids to uh, deal with the situation. Uh, Matsuri tries to use his wind-locating jutsu thing to try and find where the Ayakashi is, but it doesn't work. And as they're looking around the place, a TV and various furniture appear within the living room. And it's like, oh my god, furniture just appeared, like someone's still living here. And Matsuri starts to shout a warning to Suzu to be careful, but instead goes, let's watch some TV in the living room. And Suzu's like, wait a minute, that sounds kind of weird. All right, yeah, let's do it. Let's relax and watch TV. And it's honestly legit kind of creepy for a little bit because they're just watching a static image on the TV and they laugh at it like something is happening. And they're both aware of what's going on and how weird it is that they're just doing stuff and kind of like acting out life, uh, uh, even though it's like a shadow play, basically. Mm -hmm. But over time... 
the fact that they're physically being forced to go through it starts to affect their minds as well. Uh, and they're both, you know, enjoying getting to just spend time with each other as they're doing it. Uh, and they both kind of think, you know, if we were just, you know, to stay here, then no one could bother us and we could just, you know, have a good time together. We could be close to each other. And also, of course, they're getting kind of touchy with each other, getting physically close and they almost kiss. They almost kiss Chris. Oh, my gosh. Wait a minute. Nick, hold on. But Matsuri is not in his boy form. Two girls can't kiss. Like, bio- <laughs> biologically, I don't think that can happen, right? <laughs> the part of Shirogane will not be played by <laughs> I do. I honestly would appreciate if, like, a character were just to go, to be that blunt about, <laughs> about it in this series. Like, wait a minute, this doesn't make any sense. It's not, oh, girl. It's not physically possible for two girls to kiss. I've seen, I've seen pictures. <laughs> However, just before Matsuri and Suzu are going to kiss suddenly a weird presence appears behind Suzu. It looks a lot like Suzu herself, but dressed differently in like dark uh, versions of her usual kind of hoodie uh, and with very long hair. And she says to Suzu, you can't accept this. This is false happiness. A poor Ayakashi is manipulating you to indulge in its memories. This isn't the real Matsuri. Right now, you're in a position where you can't do anything about it. I'll show you how it's done. Although you might forget again. And uh, Suzu kind of collapses, which confuses Matsuri. And when she gets up, she has seemingly taken on the long-haired girl's presence. Uh, Like, she starts to completely physically resemble her. uh, And very easily, this presence inside Suzu solves the problem. She says that she can sense the memories from the Ayakashi's uh, energy, and she draws out the Ayakashi, which has it basically looks like a tiny cartoonish house with eyes. And she says, this Ayakashi came to be when decades of happy memories of an elderly couple were embedded in this house. It's a lost house. It watched over the couple for a long time, but now they're gone. Since this Ayakashi was born from their memories, it will lose its power soon. You wanted to see them, didn't you? Even if you had to borrow someone else's body, you just wanted to see the couple the way they used to be. So she casts out her hand and conjures an illusion of the couple when they were young and in love and stuff. The lost house gets teary-eyed watching them together, goes over to join them briefly, and the presence in the house dissipates uh, and vanishes. Uh, Garaku and Shirogane observe this from outside, and Shirogane is like, you knew exactly what kind of Ayakashi was here, and you planned this. Okay. Uh cut inside again the presence possessing suzu thanks matsuri and says because of you i was able to become suzu kanade with quotes around it matsuri asks who they are but the presence fades suzu collapses and then she wakes up shouting about tiramisu because she likes sweets Mm -hmm. did not particularly care for this chapter nick um don't really this is a character change that we haven't had teased at any point to my knowledge so the idea that there's like a dark suzu inside of suzu's kind of coming out of left field and this is i do not think a particularly interesting way to reveal this bit of information uh we're introduced to a concept 
it is solved in the same chapter in about like six pages from when it's introduced first to us and uh it's it's solved by a character we don't know and i guess we're supposed to care about now um i was actually kind of interested in the idea that these two were just getting caught up in the life that this this couple lived happily in this house and it was it was kind of this very creepy thing no one could could talk to them would they be able to break out of that themselves and instead something just shows up and is like i solved it and you're like oh then it really really kind of makes it obvious how much of a plot device the actual house was in all of this that it was really just <laughs> a reason for you to appear at this point yeah um because this new president has literally only just shown up for the first time after not really being hinted toward at all whatsoever I don't really know what to think of this uh, yet. Uh, I think that I'm there with you, though, that I liked the chapter more before she showed up, mm. mostly because I know that I did like it. And now I don't really know what to think after she showed up. So I see what your point is. I'm yeah. not as down on it as you are, but I definitely get I definitely get where you're coming from. So uh, Black Clover, I guess. Yep. Let's talk about Black Clover, Nick. Uh, page 278, Undying Bodies. Uh, we get a pretty interesting cover page with a lot of nudity. Bloody, bloody nudity. Uh, yeah. So there you go. I know you've been craving it. You were like, when are we going to get some hot pictures of the Dark Triad? And it uh, looks like Tabata finally got all of those letters, Nick. Is it hot? Well, I guess to some people it's very hot, actually. So Nick, for how often I have people come into my store and ask if we have like fucking uh, Jack Skellington merchandise and like uh, mm. uh, My Chemical Romance T-shirts, yes, I think uh, uh, bloody art and shit like that is still uh, very erotic to some people. Anyways, uh, Dante's actually like just fully alive again. I thought maybe he'd be like some kind of zombie version of himself. Uh, but no, they just fixed it backed up, and he's basically like, yep, anyway, I'm going to use gravity, so nothing except anti-magic has a way time. of hurting me. Um, and Nature Boy Flair's like, ah, so if this is going to work, we're going to have to rely on Jack's magic to cut things that can't be cut. However, he sucks too much right now. <laughs> basically, <laughs> they're, they're using gravity, it's keeping him down, uh, uh, Nature Boy Flair merges with one of his other demons, and he. It, this is kind of a nice touch. He literally becomes the Black Bull headquarter, like a version of that. And I thought that was kind of a nice touch. It's basically his way of kind of being too tough to withstand gravity a little bit. Uh, but they're like, yeah, this won't really do anything in the long run because at the end of the day, we need someone to actually hurt this guy. Um, and we can't. So it's like, hey, stupid Jack the Ripper, can you get up and be a hero? Jack the Ripper's like, ever told you the story of my father? And he's like, I guess Ukitake needed a fucking flashback too for as little as I cared about that character. So I guess here's yours. Um, I don't think Ukitake did get a flashback. <laughs> well, we got teases, I guess, this stuff. Anyway, uh, yeah, there you go, Jack the Ripper. You're better than Ukitake. Uh, he's like, yeah, my dad was a hunter who just said like, hey, don't fuck with anything that looks stronger than you. Uh, and then guess what? He got fucked up by something that was stronger than him. And I said, you know what? I'm going to kill that bear. 
and I did it. Anyway, my backstory is really traumatic or something. I'm a praying mantis, and I cut things. You can't stop an insect, and he cuts the shit out of Dante. <laughs> this chapter <laughs> is so dumb. <laughs> It wasn't until I started like really like bridging it there that I was like, "Wow, that's so stupid." When you just cut it down a little bit, Jack's backstory sucks. Okay, I lived on the woods. My dad told me not to mess with shit that was stronger than me. Then he died, and I was like, "I could kill that thing," so I did. And then I decided. I want to cut down everything that looks stronger than me. Cool. <laughs> but Nick, he can cut Jack, things. Because my dad died, because my dad got killed by orcs. So <laughs> But Nick, he can cut things that can't be cut, which includes gravity somehow. So he can cut through gravity. Uh and that is apparently very cool. Super um Look, we had to get, I guess, something for him. He was introduced in this fight. <sighs> yeah, we probably didn't. Uh, but we had to do, you know, I, every one of these guys needs their false finish. And I guess there just wasn't something to reveal with Nature Boy Ric Flair here. If there is, I guess we're still kind of yet to get it. So it's pretty boring and stupid. Um, but it is what happened. So there you go. Jack the Ripper, the great hero with the tragic backstory of his dad having gotten killed by a bear, so he killed that bear. I hope that Dante doesn't kick out of this super kick. Nobody ever kicks <laughs> out of a super kick. Nick, he's taken like a V-trigger and a roll-up. He's done. <laughs> Alright, I'm done. I'm done. done. Stupid bad. Alright. One Piece. Chapter 1001. Battle of Monsters on Onigashima with a nice little chapter of Jinbei chilling out with some jellyfish on the title. Isn't that happy. Nice? He looks he looks like he's really relaxing. So <laughs> last chapter, uh, Luffy got pissed off at Kaido and punched him into the ground. This chapter opens up with, and uh, of course he declared he was going to be king of the pirates. So Big Mom's like, you freaking brat, you're still going to say you're going to be the king of the pirates? And Kaido's like, oh my god, he actually hit me and hurt me. Uh, Zoro realizes, oh, I think, I guess that he learned the hockey from the old man in Wano, uh, which Kid is uh, also surprised by. Uh, then Law says to Luffy, I just want to tell you, but he gets cut off uh, by Big Mom, who's shouting at him about how arrogant it was to say he was going to be king of the pirates. Kaido wants to know how the hell this guy got stronger after he nearly destroyed him uh, earlier in the arc. And he looks at Luffy and he sees the shadows of of Odin and Dragon and Roger and Whitebeard behind him. At least I think that that's... that's, uh, that's is that Dragon? The guy on the left? I, I think that's Rocks. Okay. Uh, and also, I believe Shanks in the middle. Yes, it's uh, Shanks right behind him, who's kind of a little bit obscured. but Right, right. Uh, but he sees the images of, of them all surrounding Luffy and he thinks to himself, how high will your ceiling go? Uh, and he actually uh, seems kind of happy as he starts to fight against Luffy. He uses his thunder bagua and Luffy only 
barely manages to like avoid getting decimated by it. Uh, and he's sent rolling along the ground and he says to himself, ah, oh, man, I, I was reading the future and everything. It's so fast. Uh, Big Mom jumps in as well with Prometheus, but Zoro jumps in and uses Kinemon's Foxfire Flame Wren technique in order to uh, cut it open and uh, prevent Luffy from being hurt. And Luffy goes, that's Kinemon's technique. And Zoro goes, Heh, I stole it. <laughs> uh, Prometheus, of course, has been cut in half, which is, which is bad. Uh, and Zoro shouts a warning to Luffy, like, hey, don't lose focus for a single instant. There are two embers of the sea here. And as he's saying that, Kaido is coming up to follow up and smash Luffy as well. So Law has to use his Shamba's ability to port Luffy away to safety. And then he finishes the thought that he had earlier, which is, I just want to make one thing clear. I was already planning to move the samurai <laughs> below. But then you said, hey, Travis, send them all below. And that made it sound like I was following your orders. <laughs> I fucking, I love that moment so much that he's just, he's got this, he's like, I want to make it clear. I was going to do it. I'm not following your orders. I want to make that very clear. <laughs> and Luffy doesn't care about this because he's like, come on, you, it's the same difference. I don't care. But kid starts getting in eyes like, oh, yeah, Trafalgar Law, you're a straw hat's henchman now. And I was like, no, <laughs> that's the best part. It would be such a quick and done thing. But the fact that kid immediately starts poking, he's like, oh, so you work for straw hat now. It's just like, no, I don't work for straw. I was going to do it on my own. And, the, and he keeps on going after that, too. It's like, oh, my mean, hey, it doesn't matter to me. Which of you two losers wants to follow the other? <laughs> Meanwhile, Big Mom throws Prometheus at them. <laughs> And so, this I, is so wonderful. I lost my shit the first time I read this. So Luffy says to Kid and and Law as the as Prometheus is bearing down all three of them because he's launched a fireball at all three, and so Law says to, in response, "I'm not playing that game, you idiot." And Kid says, see, coming up with stupid contests like that is why you guys are so small time. And so Luffy says to both of them, that's fine. I guess you're just losers. Then. <laughs> so immediately, <laughs> they all take on this stupid contest. They're all, like, they're all to the point that they're squishing their face back just a little bit. Because they're all like, oh. And then they all just eat the attack. Zoro gets pissed at them over this. I don't know why. It's the funniest thing. All their faces, like the scrunched up chins, as they're trying to look at each other. Like, oh, I'm gonna move away, shit. I don't know why. It was so fucking funny. <laughs> oh, man. So, Zoro, it's time to get serious. Zoro puts his, uh, his headband on. It's been forever since we've seen him do that. Did and, he, uh, he, he use warns it against? Pillar, hey, don't get in my way. Did he use it against Pika? I feel like he put his I headband on then. I mean, it didn't. Might have done it that. didn't feel like he needed to, but I feel like he might have. Did he not? Oh. He, even back then, it would have been like two years ago since he's done this. So okay, yeah, people are saying yeah, he he did use it against Pika. Okay, okay, fair enough. Um, but yeah, that was so, like four years ago at this point. <laughs> He puts on his headband and tells Killer, don't get in my way, Hito Kirikamazo, uh, who uh, is 
seemingly surprised that uh, he he recognized him. But Zoro just says, you don't hear many people with a laugh that weird. So, yeah. Uh, but Killer says, if I was using my Punishers back then, you would be dead right now. <laughs> but Zoro's like, no, no, no. The outcome would have been the same. And uh, so they get in on it. He uses his three sword style to, to try and cut Kaido with bit and uh killer joins in as well with beheading claws and they seemingly just cut straight through kaido's neck and uh you see a little mark appear on his neck and that's it and he just kind of goes well done and he's, he's i love fine. i love how excited he is by all this he is so fucking stoked for this fight <laughs> Zoro says to himself that he's got to unleash the Enma a bit more. Uh, and uh, uh, I think that this is kind of, I believe this is Luffy actually saying this. Uh, I, can, I can't tell. Whatever. Anyway, Kid and Law and Luffy all just go. Uh Kid is unleashing like all the metal that he brought up with him in in this thing called Punk Rotten. Luffy goes Gear Four. Law unleashes Room, and so Kid has this massive mecha thing surrounding him, uh-huh. and they just all three of them go storming towards Kaido, who's just laughing about this and saying they might as well be monsters in their own right. Uh, and Kid says, "We know you've got tough skin." But can it save you from being crushed and compacted to death? And Law's like, and I'm going to go straight inside your body and deliver surgical death. And Luffy's going, preparing his gum gum. <laughs> gum gum. He's just like, oh, okay. You don't, you don't have anything cool to say. Kaido smirks. Luffy punches him in the gut with Kong gun. Kid smashes his entire body between these two massive fists and then Law just drops a bunch of rocks on his head. And uh, he's buried under rubble. But Big Mom shows up above them. She's riding on Zeus. A storm cloud is surrounding her. She's also got whatever her sword is called. I don't remember in her hand. And she starts laughing. And then Kaido starts laughing as well as he emerges from the rubble in his full dragon form. And says, it would almost be a shame to kill you. But you leave me no choice. Once you are dead, we'll take everything you have. All your manpower and treasure will belong to us. And Big Mom joins in saying, you got some poneglyphs too, I assume. I can't wait for that. And Kaido wraps up the chapter by saying, whoever wins gets that much closer to King of the Pirates. And so we've got these two monsters going up against the five pirates there. Basically just kind of relatively the same position we were at last time, but the battle joined in full now. So This is such a fucking hype chapter. It's so cool. Uh, getting to see everyone use their strong attacks. Uh, Zoro putting on the headband. Uh, the big reveal of Punk Rotten and like the two-page spread where we see like the three of them using their big move. Uh, the the two-page spread to end it as Kaido's in his dragon form with Big Mom there and the like looming in the background with our our protagonist in the foreground and you can see how small but like it's just a very very cool visual. And I'm so excited for it. It's such a cool chapter. I know there were some people who were like, dude, this should have been chapter 1000. And I, like, I get why chapter 1000 was the one it was, because it kind of reaffirms the story of Luffy as a thing. But this is a super exciting chapter. 
I am so fucking excited for the next chapter of One Piece, and I cannot wait to see more of this fight. This has been so yeah. cool already. This is the kind of chapter that like made me start reading manga when I was a teenager. It's yeah. like going big in the fight scene, making it seem bigger than anything. And uh, yeah, it's it's really satisfying to see it. And it's really nice to see after all the waiting and all of the planning and building and stuff. Yeah, here it is. It's it, there's no more putting off the big fight. So here you go. Big punches from the get go. So, yeah. Good goddamn stuff pretty much every and pa- also also a really funny joke right in the middle of it. yeah i was gonna say like i love the joke of zoro stealing his move and all of them trying to dodge the the fireball and playing chicken like just every page of this chapter is supremely awesome like just so packed it's great yeah uh and i guess we'll uh get into that's a nice transition i think to wrapping up a weekly manga recap for this week with favorite series and MVP, uh, it's gonna be one. Have we piece. made it too obvious? <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say it, it, it's it's gonna be one, it's gonna be One Piece. Yeah, one hundred percent. There were a fair number of chapters that I did not think were all that great this week, but even on a really good week, I feel like this would have been chapter of the week. It's it, yeah, like you said, like it is packed from start to finish. It's exciting. It's funny, and it's cool. So it is if you are a One Piece fan, what you've been wanting for a while, probably. So the audience also agrees it's it's the the character or the series of the week for them as well. Character of the week's a lot harder because mm. everyone involved in One Piece is really, really good. So it's hard to really like pull anyone out and stand out. And I don't really I don't know, I'm trying to think through everybody I thought that had like a really cool week this week. <sighs> I guess I'm going to give it to Rain from Mashal because I mm. really do like the Bon Caravio and I do like his line, like the the setup of check and then him just being like checkmate and then he shoots at his Bon guy attack, basically. It's a very cool like back and forth moment. I'm not like super happy with that pick because, I mean, Rain only really does something cool towards the end of the chapter. I guess his speech earlier was okay, um, but I didn't really feel like I know Chrome wins for the audience and I totally get that. And I do like that Chrome had that cool moment, but it's, I don't know. It doesn't feel like it was a big enough moment for, for me to give it to him. Mm. I am going with the audience on this one. Okay. I, uh, I thought it was a really, it's nice to have the nods toward Chrome uh, and his insight in the way that, you know, demonstrates that, yeah, he's, he's naive about, about a lot of established technology from the, you know, 21st century, but that kind of outsider's view leaves him open to noticing things that other people don't. And it felt like during the um, arc that involved uh, trying to actually directly fight Stanley and Zeno's kingdom that he didn't have really a great moment during that. So it was nice to have a moment that felt proper again for him uh, after a good time. Uh, that said, that's going to do it for a week of Manga Recap this week, everybody. We want to join you for... We, no, we want to thank you for joining us uh, on this uh, recording of the show. We record Weekly Manga Recap every Wednesday uh, around 7 to, to 8 Eastern time in the evening here on twitch.tv slash RoboT. You can also find recorded episodes on weeklymangarecap.podbean.com. And you can also check us out on Patreon, patreon.com slash weeklymangarecap.com. 
Uh, if you become a patron, you can uh, get access to all sorts of bonus content that we have up there. And your support allows us to create extra stuff, which is really nice. Uh, we also have a Discord server. Uh, you can take part in a lot of different conversations of all sorts of different ilks uh, with the Wikimagoria Cap community. And you can also, on there, uh, find the Google Doc that's maintained by Ninja X3i, where, which keeps track of all sorts of helpful information regarding the show, statistics, and recommendations and stuff. You can use that to suggest manga for us to read. Chris is mocking me right now with that briefcase, but that's fine. I'm not angry about it can at cash, all. Can cash it in any time I want. I just want that to be known. I mean, I guess I'm safe literally right now. Yeah, but, just uh, right now. Yeah. TikTok, Nick. TikTok. I don't know what uh, what sea shanties have to do with this, Chris. So. <laughs> the only thing keeping me alive right now. <laughs> no, it's okay. <laughs> We also want to extend special thanks to Steve Mann, tarot card artist. You can check out his work wherever boobs are allowed to be drawn. And Milo Jack Stillitz and Wesley Delcher for creating the opening sequence of Weekly Manga Recap. And uh, that'll be it. Maybe just, I'm just going to check, make sure. Yeah, it's still in there. All right, excellent. Vita is safely stored away for right now. Okay. Now, Nick, what's our next recommendation? I didn't pick it out. <laughs> <laughs> I don't you, know. Maybe I, were, maybe I just forgot to do it, or maybe I was—I don't know—licking my wounds after my. I was loss. gonna say maybe you were demoralized after losing the veto in the bank contest. I understand. I understand. Uh, well, don't... I did think about uh, going us going back on our Pokemon journey, though. Well, you let me know, okay? And uh, when that happens, we'll let everyone else know. That's going yeah. to do it for weekly manga recap this week. Goodbye. Yes. Yeah. <laughs>